particular beer, as a lover of uncommon passion. I was sarcastic. I answered this question, as common in this city as hello, with sarcasm. I'm not sure if that was shame or a defense mechanism of some sort. It was a sign, surely. What else could it have been? My work was something that should have offered more. Perhaps I should have accepted what it had to offer. For a long while, I did, and it rewarded me very well. And this sense of reward, and the obviousness of it, protected me from the real world. From the real world as it existed around me. I worked within an energy, the kind of energy that came from satisfaction, youth, and the knowledge that we were going to survive the recession, or whatever it was being branded lately, because we were small and nimble and successful. I was without a plan. I did as I was told. I showed the proper level of ambition. I drank with the right people. I received promotions and raises, and these things made me work harder. I figured this was the key to the system, to how things functioned, the circle of life. It's an instinctual way to live. We live unimpressive lives in order to be impressive. And we do impress people. That's the thing. And when we stop treating this with any kind of amazement— one can feel the confirmation of a successful career. One can have things, be the person, wear the clothes. We win. And that's what matters in the end. Winning. Ensuring that everyone knows you have won. The office was a modern space in that area where Chelsea becomes Hell's Kitchen. Hardwoods and steel and modular desks. Glass. Open. Beams of natural light bathing the place in a modern whiteness. Half a floor in an old building, and close enough to my apartment that I often walked home at the end of the day if the weather was right. The agency was growing. Amazingly. Despite everything. There weren't that many of us. Thirty, I think. And that, too, was probably a part of our salvation. Our owners were veterans. Refugees from the multinational world. They had experienced the waste and the time-suck of bureaucracy and attempted to avoid it. We dreamed up dreams to move stuff. That's what we called anything we could sell. Stuff. We even had George Carlin's great bit about stuff running in a loop on a video screen in the reception area. That told everyone we were in on the joke. We were that good. And smart. A bunch of smart people sitting around being smart and doing smart things. And if you signed on with us, we'd do smart things for you, too. I spun tales. My life appeared more interesting than it felt, to me at least. It had the trajectory of some chop-suey kung-fu fighter flying through the air, impervious to gravity. I was glib and irreverent because I was paid to be and because I could afford it, and because I didn't know better. I felt like I was contributing to something larger than myself, to the running of the world. My first campaign was for a government agency public service announcement aimed at exposing racism. That's what the brief said. Expose racism and its after-effects. As if racism were hiding somewhere. Whatever. I'd studied something about the consequences of hate on human health, and the campaign was simple. A slide. Racism equals hatred. And then another one.
Hatred is harmful to your health. And that was it. White letters on a black background. And it was assembled and crafted for television and as posters and was put in the subway and on the sides of buses. My first campaign, and I saw it while going to work. And I thought I was doing something noble. And even when my next account was for diapers, and the one after that was for sunscreen, I still felt that nobility. And that feeling of nobility lasted for a long time. Years. So if the work ever got bogged down in idiocy, as it often did, there was the work, the first campaign, and the idiocy of the moment dissipated, and whatever I was doing became important again, because I had told the entire city that racism was bad for them. But self-importance only lasts so long. And I would...